Friends, will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, we look to you. We ask that you would teach. We pray, Father, that what we learn would be applied into our lives, that we may step into greater Christ-likeness as we face the challenges of this life. And so, Lord, guide us in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, how many of you follow wrestling? It's the world's oldest sport. Uh, there's evidence that barehanded contests took place more than 5,000 years ago in Egypt. There's hieroglyphics of Egyptians wrestling. But when I say wrestling, that's not the sort of wrestling that, you know, the most people think of today, the, the ones that the Egyptians were taking, uh, were participating in. It's not the kind of wrestling that most people think of today. Today, when I say wrestling, most people think of professional wrestling. It's called professional wrestling. Uh, WWE, or for those of you who are older, WWF, uh, not the the Wildlife Preservation NGO with the Panda logo, but the World Wrestling Federation that became World Wrestling Entertainment. But if you watch WWE, you're going to find very little wrestling, (laughs) like actual wrestling. It's more about slapping, stomping, drop kicks, uh, other acrobatics where they climb on the rope and then they fly and that kind of thing. And of course, the drama of, uh, you know, they, they stand and stare at each other and they, they, they talk very seriously about all kinds of things and uh, friends become enemies and enemies become friends and friends become enemies again and that sort of thing. Uh, if you enjoy this kind of thing, okay, that's fine. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, not trying to look down on, on your entertainment, but it is entertainment, okay? There, there isn't that much wrestling in WWE. Now, today's passage has Jacob taking part in a wrestling match, but it's not the WWE sort of wrestling. It's closer to the Greco-Roman style of wrestling or sumo wrestling, where two people actually grapple and strain against each other, okay? And so, the, the, if you want to have an idea of what this wrestling looks like, the Tokyo, uh, Tokyo Olympic Games currently are running, right? And the wrestling tournament begins tomorrow at 7 a.m. our time. So, if you want to have a better idea of what uh, this wrestling looks like, not WWE, you can look for it. Uh, online at a live stream or, or something. And so in actual wrestling, it is a difficult and constant struggle. And so that's part of our big idea for today, that we are blessed when we persevere in our struggles with God. We are blessed when we persevere in our struggles with God. Now we're continuing in our series on Genesis and the story of Abraham's family. And we are two generations down. We are currently going through the life of Jacob. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at how Jacob and Rebekah schemed to steal the blessing that Isaac meant to give to Esau, right? And Jacob had to run away from home because Esau was so angry that he had threatened to kill him. He said, in fact, he, he, he vowed to kill him. 
So Jacob leaves his home in Beersheba. Okay, you can see towards the bottom there, Beersheba. He encounters God in a dream at Bethel, okay, on his, uh, a bit higher in his journey. And he arrives at Padan Aram or Haran, which might have been a city within that area. It's not in the map, but uh, you, I've indicated it's somewhere towards that direction, okay. And so his uncle, Jacob's uncle, Laban, is there in Haran. And Jacob spends 20 years working for his uncle, Laban. And in that 20 years, he, he builds a family, right? First, he marries Leah, not, not his choice. He was deceived into it. Uh, but then after that, he also married Rachel. And then the two of them competed and they started churning out many babies as an attempt to uh, win his affections, right? Or, or to prove their worth or, or whatever motivation they had. And so he ended up becoming very uh, fruitful in Haran. Uh, two wives together with their handmaidens, 11 sons and a daughter, and uh, he also became quite wealthy with livestock and servants, hundreds of livestock uh, by the time he leaves Haran. And so as Brother Gamliang shared with us last Sunday, we saw how God eventually called Jacob to return home. And this returning home would have him face his fears and face the consequences of his deception that he had done uh, 20 years ago. Now, the period between Jacob leaving home and, and returning to Beersheba, so leaving Beersheba to go to Haran and then coming back to Beersheba, this period is about 20 years. And so imagine, to put it in our modern context, imagine somebody owing uh, an along a lot of money, okay? And because they discover eventually they, they are unable to pay them back, they skip town, okay? And so they, they want to escape the harassment, the danger, uh, they're, they're not married or anything. They move to another town further away and there they start a new life. So they get married, they have kids, they build a whole new life there. After 20 years, their kids have grown up, gone to college. Uh, finally, they decide to come back home because maybe they receive news that, oh, their parents have died and it's time to claim their inheritance. But as they make their way home, they don't know if this along is still around and whether they're actually still looking for them. And so imagine the fear and anxiety that would have that that would be present despite the amount of time that had gone past. So 20 years building a new life, surely forgetting most of their fears during that new life. But then when returning home, all that fear and anxiety will come back. And so in Jacob's case, it wasn't just about money. When he left home, his brother was vowing to kill him, right? And so even if Jacob had been able to forget about his troubles during his 20 years building a new life in Haran, all his fears must have come rushing back the moment he started heading home. And so we're at the start of Genesis 32, chapter 32. And in Jacob's anxiety, the first thing he does when he reaches uh, near the, the region of his, his home area 
nearer towards Beersheba, the first thing he does is to send messengers ahead to Esau to basically uh, give him a message that he was seeking his favor. Okay, in other words, that he was coming in peace. Right? And if Jacob wasn't freaking out already, the, the messengers return to him in, in verse 6. They tell him that Esau was coming to meet him. So they had managed to find Esau. But he was coming with 400 men. Okay, so with this message, Jacob assumes the worst. And in verses 7 to 8, he starts planning on how to preserve his property. He splits all, all that he has into two groups. So that if one group is attacked, maybe the other might escape. And on top of this, in verses 13 to 21, he also plans to uh, bribe Esau with gifts of livestock. And so he would uh, send it in incremental gifts uh, three times. And so these seem to be cunning tactics of somebody trying to preserve his life at all costs. But verses 9 to 12 is quite significant. It contains Jacob's first recorded prayer. And it gives us an insight into how much he has grown in his faith. Now, we know that Jacob started out as a deceiver. All right? He took advantage of his brother's hunger to get his birthright. And he deceived his own blind father to get Esau's inheritance blessing. On top of that, the deception continues even when he goes to Haran and he meets his match in his uncle Laban. By the time Jacob leaves Haran, he's still not a perfect person, but look at his prayer in Genesis chapter 32, verse 9 to 12, which says, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. Now, what can we see from this prayer? Several things. Firstly, humility is a very humble prayer. Secondly, gratitude to God. He's very thankful for what God has done in his life. Thirdly, faith in God's ability. He knows that God is able to save him from the, the fate that he fears. And also, faith in in God's promises that he, he even references because you have promised this uh, you, you cannot allow me to, to be harmed and basically to die so that your, your promises are not fulfilled okay quite different from the, the, the actions of Isaac and Abraham right when God promised uh, to them that they would have many descendants and still they decided to try and preserve their own life and take matters into their own hands in various ways. And so this is quite a big leap from the man that tried to maneuver so many earthly things to his own selfish benefit. It's a very different picture of Jacob 
the man. In Genesis chapter 28, when Jacob is fleeing Esau and he is headed towards Aran, uh, Haran, so he's just left home in Beersheba and he is headed towards Haran, God, uh, Jacob encounters God at Bethel. Right? God reveals himself uh, to, to Jacob in a dream and there Jacob makes a vow for God to be his God. And that's what uh, Brother Chong Jun was sharing about uh, two weeks ago. So although Jacob is still very much imperfect at this point, he's still not a perfect, uh, wonderful model uh, example, he is now in a faith relationship with not just God of his fathers, but his God, right? So let's zoom in on our passage today. First, let's look at this wrestling match that Jacob had and all that it entails. After sending his family and possessions on ahead, Jacob is alone. All right? And this is one of the rare times that we, we see him recorded as being alone. Uh, very similar to the time that he encountered God at Bethel when he was on the reverse side of his journey. But this time, instead of a peaceful dream where he encounters God and God reveals himself to him, he comes across a man whom he wrestles. Now, it's interesting that this man is not called an angel. Uh, a few angels of the Lord or, or random angels have already appeared to Abraham and also to Jacob earlier in his dream at Bethel and also at the start of chapter 32. But this guy who wrestles him is simply called a man. Okay, And so that, that is probably uh, Jacob's point of reference. That's who he perceives this being to be, uh, a man, right? But other things do suggest that this man is more than just a man. If we look at Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, it refers to this episode and it talks about how Jacob struggled with an angel. Okay, so Hosea calls this man an angel. Secondly, uh, Jacob considers it important to receive this man's blessing. Okay, so he's not just any man. Uh, thirdly, the man implies that Jacob has struggled with God and he seems to be talking about what they had been doing. Fourthly, Jacob says that he saw God face to face and his life was spared. So a lot of things seem to indicate that although he's referred to as a man, that this is God in some sort of man form, some sort of human form. Some scholars think that maybe this is the pre-incarnate Christ, okay, that uh, is Jesus, God the Son, before he would be born uh, in the Virgin Mary. But whoever this man is or whatever form and all that, he represents God himself, okay? And so we're just going to consider that this man is God, okay, in some way. So why was Jacob wrestling with God? Now, of course, many would assume that this was some sort of figurative wrestling, that Jacob was struggling with his fears and his anxieties of being attacked by his brother, or maybe even wrestling with his, grappling with himself and his own identity of who he is. But Jacob comes away from this 
wrestling match with an injury, a very real injury. God touches his hip socket, and the Hebrew can also mean that God struck his hip or his thigh. Uh, another interpretation is that Jacob tore his own thigh muscle in the wrestling match. Okay, but however it came about, Jacob came away from this this wrestling match with a limp. Okay, and he he walked with a limp from then on. So it was a real, it was a a, a lasting physical injury. Uh, it's possible that God used real physical wrestling to teach Jacob and also his descendants and other students of scripture like you and me uh, of what wrestling with God was figuratively like. Okay, so it's a, a, a physical symbol of the figurative uh, implications. So almost like a sort of sacrament. <laughs> okay, maybe not. Wrestling's not a sacrament. Uh, more like a, a symbol of some sort. Okay, an illustration. Uh, because it's very clear uh, to, to understand the implications of physical wrestling. Uh, or at least if you've tried it, it you, you, you'll be able to identify certain uh, things about it. Now, I'm not a wrestler. Right? I'm definitely not in shape to be a wrestler. But I have play wrestled before with friends when I was younger. Okay, and uh, other than several things like uh, people breaking rules and, and doing things like biting each other, that's not wrestling, uh, and, and struggling with balance, okay, that's, balance is a big thing in wrestling. But two things clear, uh, stand out very, very clearly from what I can remember, okay, two aspects of wrestling. Uh, stand out to me very clearly. Firstly, wrestling is difficult. It's not easy. Uh, of course, it's only difficult if you wrestle someone around your weight or, or strength class, right? If, if the gap between uh, you, you and your opponent, the gap is too wide in your strength or your weight, uh, it's not wrestling, it's just bullying. But real wrestling is difficult because it's a very constant struggle that uses a lot of your strength and you're constantly moving and trying to maneuver and, and uh, overpower your opponent, right? You, you wrestle with somebody who is not vastly weaker than you and you are guaranteed to start sweating and grunting, right? It's very, very difficult. And perhaps this is one of the reasons why uh, God appeared to, to Jacob in the form of a man and not, not some, uh, you know, all-powerful angel or whatever, uh, because uh, to match his physical strength, right, as a physical being. And so wrestling is difficult. It's difficult. But not only is wrestling difficult, it's also tiring. It's exhausting. If you've wrestled for any length of time, uh, you're going to very quickly find yourself just utterly like, okay, I, I can't do this for long anymore, right? When you're exerting yourself constantly at a very high intensity, it drains stamina very quickly. And most wrestling matches don't last very long, right? For that reason. The average modern wrestling match, you know, the one with actual wrestling and, and uh, rounds and that sort of thing, uh, usually lasts about seven minutes, right? And past that, it's, it starts to become less, less effective. 
Now, fun fact, during the 1912 Stockholm Olympics, uh, there was a wrestling match between Martin Klein, who was an Estonian representing Russia, and Alfred Asikainen, don't know if I butchered that name, uh, from Finland. And this match, this wrestling match, lasted, if you guess how long, uh, no, it didn't last one hour. It didn't last three hours. It lasted 11 hours and 40 minutes. Oh, can you imagine? 11 hours and 40 minutes of rest, Olympic level wrestling. And much of that was in the hot sun. Okay, they were allowed to, to pause for a short while every 30 minutes to rest. But you imagine just having a wrestling match last for 11 hours and 40 minutes. Uh, needless to say, time limits were introduced shortly into the Olympics after that. <laughs> now, Jacob's wrestling match was at night, not in the hot sun, but it lasted until dawn. And so, this was at least a few hours, if not more, long. And I don't think Jacob was a trained wrestler with stamina and reserves, uh, or that he was allowed to take any breaks. I don't think he told God, uh, Job, Job, wait, let me catch my breath. Uh, okay, let's go again. Uh, it was ongoing, not, not just difficult, not just incredibly difficult, but very, very, very tiring. And so for Jacob, on top of the exhaustion, it was also incredibly painful. He would be, remember, he, was, he, he, he would later become injured in his hip or his leg or, or that region. Now, most people would stop wrestling after an injury. Right? But Jacob continues even though this man, God, uh, wants to stop wrestling. Now, what made Jacob like, push past the pain? We see that he continued wrestling or he continued hanging on to this man uh, because he wanted his blessing. Uh, we don't know the details of this blessing other than the fact that you know, Jacob did receive it in verse 29. We don't know what resulted from that blessing, whether it was a material blessing, spiritual blessing, or whether the, the blessing was actually just, you know, realizing that he had seen God face to face. Because shortly after receiving that blessing, it says that uh, Jacob names that place uh, after having the, the experience of having seen God face to face and surviving. Maybe that was the blessing. We don't know. But... What is clear is that Jacob received this blessing after persevering in his difficult, tiring, painful wrestling match with God. Now, although Jacob's wrestling match was a physical one, it does describe some of the characteristics of the figurative struggles that we have with God, either directly with God and his character, or indirectly with his will and direction for us. And one of the things that I make sure I do with every baptism and confirmation class uh, that I teach is I, I try to emphasize, I don't downplay, and I try to even highlight the difficulties that Christian, 
Christians will face as they pursue a life in Christ. In this fallen world, uh, at odds with their sinful nature, uh, against the attacks of the devil, right? that the Christian life is not a walk in the park, it's not a bed of roses, it's not something that we can just uh, expect to, to uh, be no sweat. Because if we decide to follow Jesus, expecting it to be an easy road, then we are setting ourselves up for a, a very disappointed, frustrated, maybe even a bitter Christian life. And so if you're involved in, in some sort of ministry of evangelism, uh, where you, you have an opportunity to share the gospel, yes, of course, we, we want people to embrace the gospel. The gospel itself is attractive, but we should not be downplaying and, and making it seem as though you just pray a prayer and, and that's all you need to do. Uh, that's, that's it to the Christian life, right? You just pray a prayer and you just reap the benefits. Because a life with Christ in this sinful world is going to have plenty of struggling and wrestling, not just with others, but with God himself. And often these struggles will be difficult They'll be tiring, they'll be painful. Now, of course, abundant life in Jesus is filled with joy and spiritual blessings. And any, any suffering that we experience as followers of Jesus, even if it's for that short moment, is far better than an entire life lived without Christ. Right? But the Christian life will contain times of struggle. Many people feel guilty when they struggle with God, when they struggle with faith. And they feel like failures when they don't immediately overcome. When they don't feel like they have unshakable faith and they feel like they are less than conquerors. And there's, you know, there, there are many, many uh, schools of thought that, that preach a very triumphant, a very victorious sort of gospel, which is true, yes, the, 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 the gospel message is triumphant and victorious. But people, uh, people who live in this sinful world with sinful natures, uh, the weaknesses of, of humanity, uh, we don't feel like winners and, and uh, you know, conquerors all the time, right? And to expect uh, a disciple of Jesus to remain in that that high, that emotional high of you know nonstop overcomer uh, is not a, a very realistic thing. And so uh, that sometimes people have misunderstood that message of the the triumph and victory of the gospel as to mean that they cannot struggle. They should not be struggling. And so to people who struggle with God and struggle with faith, to those people I would say that you have never been closer to the picture of God's people as painted throughout the entire Bible. Now, the vast majority of Bible heroes went through many, 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 many moments of doubt in God's character, in God's promises. We've been seeing many of them just recently and we're still in the first book of the Bible. 
So it's okay to struggle with God. Whether you are struggling with what God is doing in your life, or why He allowed something to happen, or where He's calling you to go, or when He is asking you to wait until, or how He is making you grow in your faith. It's okay to struggle. The patriarchs struggled. The psalmists struggled. The prophets struggled. The apostles struggled. Even Jesus struggled at Gethsemane. Uh, perhaps Jesus' struggle wasn't against God's character, right? He had perfect fellowship with him. But Jesus certainly struggled at the prospect of what God's will had in store for him in the suffering that he was going to face. Uh, what's important isn't so much whether or not we struggle with God. What's more important is whether or not we persevere. Because God's blessings await those who persevere despite their struggles with him. And again, I don't know what form that blessing takes, right? Maybe not material blessings, so no prosperity gospel here. Uh, maybe these blessings are not received right away. But there is no question that those who persevere in the Lord will experience His goodness and His favor. That is clear throughout the Bible. Now let's move on to the next major component of today's message. Jacob's new name. Uh, part of this wrestling match contains this strange exchange about names. The man asks Jacob for his name. He gives him a new name. Then Jacob asks for the man's name, and the man doesn't give Jacob his name. Right? What does this all mean? Our names are very important. They are more than identifiers. Uh, they are more than something that we call out when, whenever we want to uh, get somebody's attention or establish communication with them. It's different from, let's say, a handful number. Right? A handful number can be a way to identify. Uh, you, you can look at, you can recognize a, a handful number and, oh yes, that's my wife's number, or that's my, you know, that's my father's number. Uh, we can use that number to establish communication, uh, to dial that number and get their attention, right? But we don't address and we don't refer to people by the handful numbers, right? No one says at their wedding, I, 012-846-3492, take you, 011-642-8893, to be my wife, right? We use names because names represent a person. And it's not just because names are made of words instead of numbers. Uh, if you don't know, this, you know Elon Musk, right? Uh, one of the richest men in the world. Uh, also, you know, great, great mind, right? But also sort of strange uh, up here. And so he, he has a three-year-old son and his name is, well, printed on the screen there. And, oh, it's been changed actually. Yeah, now the, the digits 12 is changed to Roman numerals XII, but the rest of the name is still the same. Uh, it's pronounced X Ash, the AE is pronounced as Ash, A12 Musk. Okay, so this, this kid's name is 
X Ash A12 mask. So he's one day he's gonna stand in in front of uh, his wife, the 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 bride, right, and say I X Ash A12 take you. Bleep blah bleep blah. Okay, uh, although it's a, a weird name, it's hard to pronounce. But when people see this name X Ash A12. They think of a person, right? They don't just see this bunch of numbers. Now that I've explained to you that this is the name of a person, they will think of Elon Musk's son. They may think of what a horrible life he's gonna have with that kind of name, but they will think of him, right? Names represent people. So when the man asks Jacob for his name, he's not saying, what is the word that you use in order to get your attention? He is. He's not asking for uh, what's your uh, identifier. He's really asking, who are you? Who are you as a person? And Jacob answers by saying, Yaakov, which is his name, Jacob in Hebrew. I mentioned in my last sharing that the name Jacob literally means heel grabber in Hebrew because he was literally holding on to Esau's heel uh, when they were born. But heel grabber is a Hebrew expression to refer to a, a, a trickster or a schemer or a deceiver. Right? So Jacob is not just telling the man his name. He's also telling the man what sort of character he was. It's a sort of confession by saying his name. Right? He's saying, uh, the man is asking, who are you? Jacob is saying, a deceiver, a trickster, a schemer. And so the man essentially gives him a new name. He says, no, that's no longer your name. You shall now be called Israel, right? Or, or the Hebrew Yishrael, which means something along the lines of he struggles with God. Okay, the root words come from uh, Shara, uh, which means to struggle, and El, okay, which refers to God. And so the man specifies in verse 28, not just that Jacob struggled with God, but also with humans and have overcome. Now, the Hebrew word translated as overcome also carries this meaning of not just uh, winning, okay, not just uh, have blowing past obstacles, but overcoming through the process of persevering and enduring. Okay, so not an easy win, but a long, difficult and tiring struggle that requires much perseverance and endurance and eventually being able to succeed as a result. Sort of like wrestling all night with an injury. So Jacob is renamed as Israel. And with this renaming, remember, it wasn't just him changing his handful number or something like that. It represents a changing of identity. New name, new person. And maybe this new identity was the blessing that he received. Now, from here on out, Jesus, Jesus, sorry, Jacob is no longer a deceiver. Right, there are no records of him tricking or deceiving anyone after this passage. 
Instead, he is a struggler who overcomes by perseverance. And this new name is affirmed by God again when, when Jacob returns to Bethel in Genesis chapter 35, verse 9 to 10. And now when we hear the name Israel, we think of his descendants, right? We think of the nation of Israel because Jacob's uh, sons become the 12 tribes that multiply so quickly in Egypt. And uh, the nation Israel will certainly live up to their name because they struggled with God throughout their entire history. Uh, you may or may not have been given a new name when you were baptized or, or chosen a new name for yourself when you were baptized. But regardless of that, when we give our lives to Christ, we come to know Jesus for the first time, we are given new spiritual names. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 tells us that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And so when we meet Jesus for the first time, when we met him for the first time, he looked at us and asked us, what is your name? And when we gave our lives to him by confessing and repenting of our sins, we answered his question by saying, Sinner, I am a sinner. And God's response was, You shall no longer be called sinner. You shall be called my child, citizen of the kingdom of heaven, member of the household of God. And that, friends, became our new identity. And that is the greatest blessing that we could ever receive. And so in conclusion, I'd like you to know, know that the Christian life is full of struggles about God and with God. It's okay to struggle as long as we don't accept defeat and we persevere in Him. I'd like you to be the new creation whom God has made you to be in Christ Jesus. Your name has been written in the book of life. So live as who you are in Christ, not who you were in sin. And do persevere in the Lord. No matter how difficult, no matter how tiring, no matter how painful your struggles may be, don't give up on God because He never gives up on you. Friends, stay strong. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some questions that we will reflect on and discuss in our small groups over the week. Which person of faith who struggled with God do you respect, admire, or identify with, and why? Right? Which person of faith who struggled with God do you respect, admire, or identify with, and why? Share one time you have come away from a struggle and seen God's presence or His work. Okay, one time that you have come away from a struggle, and as a result, you've seen God's presence, or you have seen Him at work. And thirdly, what is one struggle you have with God right now that you would like to overcome and you need prayer for? Right? One struggle you have with God that you would like to overcome and you need prayer for. Okay, friends? These are questions for you to ponder and reflect and discuss on 
over the week. Let's prepare our hearts to be still before the Lord at the Lord's table.